the Sunday school teacher was talking with her young class, and she asked a question, who wants to go to heaven? And every arm shot up except for one student, Bobby. She said, Bobby, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, yeah, I, I do, but I thought you were getting a group up for today, and I have a baseball game this afternoon. <laughs> we're in the third and final week of a message series entitled Questions About Heaven. And we've tried to explore and unpack some of the things that we wonder about heaven. If you missed the first message or second message, I encourage you to go back online and, and watch those. And I'm going to just give a little recap. So let, let's review some of the things that we've, we've learned. We, we discovered that the human race was originally created to live forever in paradise, that God's intention was for mankind to partake freely of the tree of life and, and be able to enjoy the bounty of the Garden of Eden eternally. But the sin of disobeying God's only restriction resulted in Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden. Since they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they no longer would be permitted to remain and have access to the tree of life. God had warned if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day they would surely die. And immediately when they ate the fruit, their intimate closeness with God was, was severed. It, it died. They died spiritually and physically. Their previously perfect bodies began to decline as they were introduced to difficult toil and, and painful labor. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And with the arrival of sin came death, and that original plan of, of living forever was altered. We die physically because Adam sinned. Death is the, the final enemy, but death itself is not final. It serves as a transition from the physical world into the eternal world. John the Apostle was instructed to describe the magnificence of heaven for us, to give us a glimpse. And so in Revelation chapter 21, it contains his eyewitness impression of heaven. John's vision of heaven was written down for us as he attempted in human terms to describe this unimaginable beauty of heaven. We may be able to visualize some sense of how extravagantly beautiful heaven will be. We, we can do that with some degree of success. I think it's harder for us to comprehend this concept of eternity, of time going on forever, of living on and on. Because everything with which we are familiar here on earth has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this concept of time continuing without end, is, it's difficult for, for me to imagine. It's beyond our sphere of experience. It has an other world feel to it. Because it is so lasting, so ongoing, so permanent, it's imperative that we prepare and that we make the right choice. So why does heaven matter? Well, if, if I could reduce this to the simplest of terms today, I would caution you that, 
Eternity lasts forever. Choose wisely. First point I want to bring out is what can we expect in eternity? Well, again, try to imagine no end, infinity, forever. And it's, it's hard to do. It's beyond our realm of human experience. We are all eternal souls. All people will live forever. It really is just a matter of location, location, location. It comes down to whether we will live forever with God in heaven or whether we will live forever with Satan in hell. The doctrine of purgatory is something that's mentioned sometimes, and it's not found in the Bible. The idea of purgatory as a physical place like heaven and hell was a concept that wasn't born or developed until late in the 11th century. Medieval theologians concluded that the purgatorial punishments consisted of material fire and their belief that the living can can help those whose purification from their sins is not yet completed. We could do that by praying or interceding for them. And this led in the Middle Ages to the the purchasing of indulgences, uh, a a professional pardon, buying forgiveness uh, for, for, for sin. And that's what really took care of these construction projects for uh, these large buildings that were built, these worship edifices, uh, St. Peter's Basilica in in Rome. And some of those abuses are really what brought on uh, the Protestant Reformation. So purgatory was really developed centuries later as an opinion because someone didn't want anyone going to, to hell and desired for a a third eternal option. I want you to know that Jesus spoke of only two eternal options, heaven or hell. Listen to what Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus taught that there is no door number three that we can opt to open. There are two options, heaven or hell. Well, what can we expect in eternity? Well, think of it. One day we're going to rise above the sin, the weeping, the pain of this world, the grief, war, bad breaks, spiritual alienation, hostility, And then we'll know for sure that we're in heaven. W.A. Criswell was a a distinguished pastor of First Baptist Church in in Dallas, Texas. He was there for for decades. And people would often ask him this question, will we know each other in heaven? And he always responded by saying, we won't really know each other until we get to heaven. Eternity lasts forever choose wisely. The second question is, what happens in heaven? I love the, the Far Side cartoon, and uh, the, the cartoonist Gary Larson did a Far Side, it depicted a man wearing glasses, dressed in a white heavenly robe, sitting on a cloud, and looking rather bored. And the caption reads, I wish I'd brought a magazine. 
And that may be how you feel after you've left the waiting room and you're sitting in the exam room at the doctor's office, but that is not what heaven will be like. People sometimes say, I'd rather be having a good time in hell than be bored in heaven. Hell is a place of torment and isolation where friendship and good times don't exist. Hell will be deadly boring. Everything good, everything enjoyable, everything refreshing, everything fascinating or interesting is derived from God. Without God, there's nothing interesting to do. In the presence of God, there's nothing but joy. John Newton is remembered as the composer of the the song Amazing Grace. He observed, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people who I did expect to see. And he said, the third and greatest of all will be to find myself there. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, writes, I can't wait to hear John Newton's story and William Wilberforce's and Mary Magdalene's. Wouldn't you love to hear from the angel who strengthened Christ in Gethsemane? He goes on, consider the wonderful ending to the Gospel of John. When in John 21, 25, he said, Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain wonderful stories. They're a, a biography of Christ's ministry here on earth, but they record only a small fraction of what Jesus did. And that was only during this brief span of his life here on the old earth. How much more will there be to tell about his never-ending life with his people on the new earth? We can look forward to endless adventures, encounters, and experiences with Jesus. We'll see and hear God's glory as never before. We won't be bored in heaven. You won't need to bring a magazine. We have too much to celebrate. The, the highest cause to celebrate is to worship God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Smitty brought out for us just a few moments ago. I want you to think of the most exciting worship service you've ever experienced. Maybe it was at a large convention with thousands of people joining together to praise God. Maybe your most memorable time of worship was most memorable because of the people with whom you were with there. Or perhaps the presence of God resonated more deeply than usual because of your current needs, your your intensity of the moment you were in, your present situation, the pain you were experiencing helped you connect in a a greater way with God. The more you put into something, the more you get out of it. And it felt like all things came into alignment and the mood and, and the message and the music transported you directly into the presence of God in a rare experience that felt surreal. I believe that heaven's 
united worship there directly in God's presence will be that type of perpetual mountaintop worship encounter. It will never get old. We will never tire of it. It will be constantly refreshing, renewing, and rejuvenating to our souls. That is what will happen in heaven. And faced with only two options, heaven or hell, it it demands that we do whatever is necessary to obey the Lord and line up on his team, following him into that narrow path of righteousness that leads to living with him eternally, right? Doesn't that make sense? Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, whatever we need to change, we must do it. We are entering into the eternal, and we don't dare lose on this decision. Jesus told a a brief parable to underscore the value of sacrifice, of of preparation, of ingenuity when it comes to obtaining eternal life. In Matthew 13, verse 45, it reads, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. This guy discovered this priceless jewel, but it would take everything he had to be able to afford it. And he staked all of his earthly possessions on being able to purchase that pearl of great price. Sold everything to obtain it. And as we look at the pearl of great price of eternal life, Do whatever it takes. Give up everything for what is priceless. And then finally, we need to understand and and answer the the question, why is heaven so important? Heaven is God's response to us. He sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins, to restore that original fellowship with mankind that was intended, that first existed in the Garden of Eden. He asks us to move toward him, to respond to him, to follow him now on into eternity. Listen to Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the King James Version for that passage, it says, this is your reasonable service. I like that. What God is asking of us is not unreasonable. It's not crazy. It's not some out there demand from a deluded deity. It's right. It's reasonable. It's fair. It makes sense. Why wouldn't we live for him who died for us? I'd rather have Jesus as a a song with lyrics written by 
Ray Miller, and the tune was written by George Beverly Shea. And this poem was penned in, in 1922, and the lyrics were left on the piano in the Shea home by George Beverly's mother, who wanted her son to find it and change the trajectory of his life. And so the lyrics, I'd rather have Jesus, inspired George so much and challenged him about his own goals, his own ambitions in life, that he sat down at the piano and began singing with those words a tune that seemed to fit the lyrics. His mother heard him singing, requested him to sing it at their church, and it was catalytic. George's life changed direction as he put those lyrics to a song. He was presented with a popular music career from NBC, but he chose instead to work with evangelist Billy Graham. And he sang this hymn around the world. And Google has calculated that his singing in live performances at these countless stadium crusade events for decades has made George Beverly Shea's voice the most heard vocal singer throughout all time in history. It's fitting that on Father's Day, we remember the lyrics that his mother left out for him to read. And God's Spirit nudged Shea to obey, and he began living by the message of those lyrics all the way throughout the rest of his life to the ripe old age of 104. The lyrics represent what every parent would want for his or for her children. The, the song went like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Yes, I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You know, Jesus couldn't be more direct with us today. He, he challenged us in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So I'm here to remind you today that your life can change in a heartbeat. Eternity lasts forever. Choose wisely. We were made for another world to be in that regular face-to-face -face fellowship with God, to enjoy his presence 24-7 for eternity. Jesus spoke of heaven as, as being his home. He said, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me in my home. I'm going to go and get it ready 
and then I'm going to come back. And if you are one of mine, then we can enjoy eternity together. And that's worth celebrating. Listen to the Apostle Paul's description in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He said, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, those who are still alive, we who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There's that word again. And then listen to verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We've been given a victory that transcends the inequities of this life, and it extends throughout eternity. And we await that deliverance. My mom's youngest brother had been born, and he, he didn't breathe right away, and so he, he suffered damage to the cerebrum because of that failure to get oxygen to the brain, and, and so he, he had cerebral palsy. The doctors at, at Riley Hospital in Indianapolis had had hoped that with physical therapy that our Uncle Greg might be able to walk someday. One day when my younger brother was about six, my mom received a letter with some disappointing news that the doctors had now determined that Uncle Greg would never be able to walk. And as he walked into the room, my brother came in to where my mom was reading this letter from her mother, and he saw that she was crying. And Seeing her tears, little David climbed up on her lap, and he said, What's the matter, mother? And she answered softly, I just got a letter from your grandmother, and it says that the doctors have now decided that Uncle Greg will never be able to walk. Never? he asked. Never, she responded. Not even in heaven? Oh, yes, our mom said. He'll be able to walk in heaven. Dave looked at her and said, then we'll wait. Climbed down off of her lap and ran off to play. The the counseling session was concluded. Well, sometimes we have to wait until heaven to receive the ultimate healing that we've so eagerly sought and we've so prayerfully awaited. What we go after here determines where we go. Hereafter, it's possible to have the assurance that if we were to die on the way home from this service today, that we could be with Jesus in paradise, and eventually we could spend eternity with him in heaven. Uh, Let me close with this story. Unless Jesus returns in in my lifetime, I, I will die. I will have to face the reality of death, and it cannot be prevented. But because Jesus has gone ahead of me, there's a great deal that I can do now to truly live life here and be prepared for death when that time comes. Do you have that certainty today? Have you done all that he has asked you to do to follow him? Are you serving the Lord faithfully as you await your final reward? When the apocalyptic dust settles, make certain 
that you're standing with Jesus. Before going to work for Walt Disney, Derek Johnson traveled the country with a contemporary Christian singing group called Regeneration. And sometimes throughout the, the course of a concert, Johnson would tell the story of his little five-year-old daughter getting lost while shopping with her mother, and she was just one aisle over, but she was petrified. And Johnson would go on and explain to the audience that for a long time she was afraid of crowds, and, and she would cling to her parents and not wander at all. And he said, during that time we had family devotions about heaven, and when it was over, he said, my daughter asked, Daddy, will there be a lot of people in heaven? Johnson said, oh, yes, there'll be millions. Nervously, she said, how will I find you and mommy in heaven? And Johnson realized that that was her major concern. So he wanted to give her an answer that would satisfy her. So Johnson said, I'll tell you what, let's meet just inside the gate. She said, Daddy, is there more than one gate in heaven? And he remembered reading in Revelation that there are four walls and three gates in each wall. So he said, yes, there are 12 gates in heaven. Persistently, his young daughter continued her interrogation, which gate? Johnson replied, I'll tell you what, when we get to heaven, you just ask someone which way is east, and you walk until you come to the eastern wall, and then find the middle eastern gate. Let's all meet just inside the middle eastern gate. And with that, Johnson said, I, I kissed her goodnight. And I said, now remember where we're going to meet. And his little daughter interrupted him and said, just inside the middle eastern gate. And so Johnson said, from that time on, seldom would we say goodbye to one another without saying Meet you just inside, and the other would respond, the middle eastern gate. In the concert, Johnson would turn to one of the girls singing in the group and ask, is that story true? And she would say, yes, it is. He said, how do you know? And she said, because I was that little girl. And then she would add, meet you just inside, and Derek Johnson would respond, the middle eastern gate. Wow. Can you begin to fathom what it will be like to be re reunited with loved ones in heaven someday just inside the gate? To go together as a family and, and sit at the feet of Jesus. To experience a, a new eternal relationship with friends and family and your Savior. God promises that heaven will be a perfect place without sorrow or frustration. Revelation 21.4 assures us he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We don't know when the sands of time are going to, to sift through that celestial hourglass and, and run out, leaving this life as we know it over, finished done. So we must be ready. We must be alert. We must be eternally vigilant. As Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange 
for his soul. That there's nothing that you could trade as collateral for your eternal existence. For a soul that lives on after your physical body has declined and been discarded. Your soul is priceless. The idea is that there is nothing you could give in exchange for your eternal soul. So you must choose wisely. Randy Harris summed it up like this. God's team wins. Pick a team. Don't be stupid. Within the sound of my voice are are hearers who are acting in ignorance, who are being stupid, who are betting they'll have time later to repent, who are gambling with their eternal souls, who are risking their future destinations. Why? For what? What demands of God are so unreasonable that you wouldn't submit to his authority, even if only out of fear for the consequence of disobeying him? But when we get to know the master, fear isn't the main motivation. Instead, it is gratitude, love, amazement that he wants a relationship with us that he permitted his son to die in our places. And all he asks for in exchange for this gift of eternity is that we reciprocate by spending our brief time here on earth living for him. We're going to sing a a song of invitation right now. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we'd love to listen to your questions. If you want to come forward, and we'd like to provide some guidance for you for your next steps to help you respond so that you will be ready for heaven. You can come to the front as we sing.